Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. You guys are sounding amazing this morning. You can go ahead and take your seats. And just let me start off by wishing each and every one of you a Merry Christmas. And wherever life finds you today, we want you to leave church today. No matter how you've come here, no matter whether you're here on the back of an invitation, no matter whether this is where you come every single week, we want you to know that we've been praying all week that when you leave church today, that you'll leave feeling, knowing and sensing, not like you've just heard some inspirational message or talk from me, that's never gonna help anybody, but rather that maybe the God of all creation has just dropped and deposited something new that is a seed of life into the depth of your soul. And I know that that's not gonna happen if I just get up and give a regular talk every week. So um, before we jump into today's talk, can we just bow our heads and pray for a moment? Heavenly Father, as we approach this Christmas season and the busyness of life, and with all of the stuff in our schedules that's going on around us, would you just help us to center ourselves right now, to just calm our souls and just be willing to open up our hearts to hear you speak to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that any of my words would fall by the wayside today, but you, God of all creation, would speak into the heart and life of every single person so that when we leave church today, we would all truly know and understand the real reason for the season. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, um, not long to go before the great big man in the red coat's going to be climbing down your chimneys and doing his thing. But before that happens, I am excited to be able to speak to you for almost the last time of this year because there's no Sunday service next week. It's Boxing Day. So we want you to do what we're going to do, which is just have good time at home with friends and family. So it really is an honour that I get to bring to you the last sort of message in our current series as we approach Christmas. Has anybody here ever felt like you've had a plan not turn out the way that you'd have hoped. I know for sure I have. There have been many times in my life that when I look back on it, I kind of think, man, well, well, that didn't go quite as I was hoping. Like that didn't actually work out according to the plan. I can remember when Emma was pregnant with Solomon, who is actually playing drums today. He's like 15 now and uh, one person, I don't think that was even his mom, like, woo, Solomon's on the drums today. But um, when she was pregnant and about to give birth to Solomon, she had gone over her due date by almost two weeks. And one night we ended up arriving at the hospital because she was having a little bit of a pain thing going on and we were just getting some things checked out. And when we arrived in the delivery ward, which was where we were directed to go to, the staff there literally said to us very quickly, like, 
we're going to bring this baby out tonight. Like, you're ready for this, and um, you don't want to endure the pregnancy any longer than you need to. Like, we're going to bring this baby out tonight. And we weren't actually expecting that because she'd been given a date when they were going to induce her a little bit later on in a few days' time, and we weren't just expecting that. So what it meant was, all of a sudden, we were in this delivery room, and now there were like doctors being brought in, there were nurses being brought in, and they were like setting up equipment and it all felt very like clinical, very medical and rightly so, but there was just, there was just a lot going on. And you know, as the guy, for those of you husbands who've maybe been present whilst your wife is giving birth and getting ready to give birth, sometimes you feel like a bit of a spare part, don't you? Because it's a bit like, what am I supposed to do in all of this? So I was having a little bit of banter with some of the nurses and I was saying like, hey, if you get this baby out before midnight, like I'm going to buy Chinese for everybody. And they were like, come on, let's get going. I've never seen them move equipment so fast before. And then Emma just leaned over and she said, hey, listen, like we've not brought the bag. We've not brought the overnight bag. And I'm thinking, did we not bring that? This is crazy. Of course we didn't bring it because we weren't expecting that they were going to bring out this baby right now in this moment. So I kind of left the delivery room and I said, don't worry about a thing. I've got this. I'm going to take care of it. And I went back to call my mom and say, mom, listen, we've forgotten the delivery bag with all of her stuff in. Can you go to our house? Because Emma's mom is looking after the boys. Can you go there, pick up the bag, bring it to us in the delivery suite in the hospital? And she was like, absolutely, yes. So when I came back into the delivery ward, because of course there's no phone signal whilst you're in the delivery ward, I ended up going back into the room and it just felt like everything was just carnage. It was like there's now more doctors, there's two doctors and now there's a nurse and now there's some guy that I'd not met before who was kind of like right by Emma's head at the top end of the bed and I didn't really know where to go. I felt a little bit awkward I was a little bit uncertain as to like what I should do. So I just sat on the stool that was opposite the bed, but at the other end of the room, whilst all the doctors and all the nurses were kind of like crowded round the bed. And I sat there for a few moments and I tried to do what all of us boys would do. I'd try to pretend I was looking busy and I'd like go on my phone. But back then there was no Instagram. You would be like just scrolling through your contacts, trying to look busy. You know, it's like, this is what we do. So I'm in this delivery room and I'm just kind of like aware that this guy who is sat on the chair next to Emma's head is not wearing scrubs. He doesn't have a stethoscope. He's not really looking all that much like a doctor. And have you ever had this happen, guys? when you catch another man's eyes and they give you that look and it's almost like a look of what are you doing here and I kind of felt that this doctor was giving me that vibe and I can remember sat on this stool opposite the bed and I'm starting to get really frustrated I am getting wound up because I'm thinking like why are you giving me the daggers and why are you so close to my wife and I'm sat there at this stool and at one point I'm thinking like if this goes down, I could take you out right now. I'm actually thinking that. I'm almost saying to myself, like, if it goes there, I will roll around on the floor with you, no problem, and I will take you out. And then literally, you know, like they're bringing in some more equipment and this guy is staring at me all of the time. And again, I'm getting wound up. I'm thinking, like, where's your white coat? And where's your scrubs? And are you even a doctor? Like, who are you? And then all of a sudden, I stood up and I realized that I was in the wrong delivery room. I am literally about to watch some random woman give birth to a child, right? And it's not even my wife. 
And no wonder this guy is giving me the daggers. No wonder this guy is looking at me as if he's going to say, like, we'll fight right now. It's because I'm just the spectator, just like sitting in, scrolling through my contacts on my phone, whilst his wife is going through quite an intimate moment of giving birth to their child. And I kind of like, I just stood up and I kind of went, oh, wrong room, went out <laughs> and went to the room next door and Emma was like, where have you been? And I'm like, you wouldn't believe it even if I told you. <laughs> and now she's giving me the daggers <laughs> and she's like, and where's the bag and where's the thing? I'm like, let's never ever talk about this event ever, ever again. <laughs> but if there was ever a moment where I felt like, well, that plan didn't work out, it was sat in that other random woman's delivery room. It's frustrating though, isn't it, when plans don't work out the way that you'd have hoped. And I guess that for each and every one of us, it doesn't even matter whether you're a Jesus follower or not, we all experience times and seasons in our life where it just feels like the plan's not going the way that we'd have hoped. Things don't work out the way that we dreamt that they would. And this happens across all the varied areas of our lives. There have been times and seasons where you felt and thought like you had found the one. I mean, like, you were so truly, madly, deeply in love with her, in love with him. And you guys were just going to make babies forever. You guys were just truly, madly, deeply, you were so into each other, you could not possibly envisage life without the other one. And then, for a reason, sometimes it was down to you, a bit of your fault. Other times, it's his fault, her fault. Other times, it's not really anybody's fault, but the whole thing doesn't work out. And now you're fighting, and now you're arguing, and now before you know it, even though it's not what you intended, divorce is on the cards, and now you feel terrible about that because that isn't what you'd have hoped for. This isn't what you planned. But relationally, we know what it's like sometimes to feel like life just doesn't go to plan. For others of you, you know what it's like to feel like the, the, the stress and the pain of when your financial goals and plans don't really work out. You know what it feels like to have a goal and then all of a sudden, because perhaps of external circumstances, because of some investments that you've made haven't worked out, maybe because you didn't start planning and preparing for a pension as early as your dad told you to, maybe because you went through a little bit of a season of reckless, crazy, wild living where you bought the car, you bought the thing, you had all the best trainers and no cash in the bank, and now it dawns on you that not only are your financial goals not going to work out, but it feels to you now like you haven't even got the time to put this right. Now it feels to you like we haven't got the time in our lives anymore to go back and correct this and fix this and repair it. And it feels to you like your financial plans are all going to rack and ruin. For others of you, it's your educational plans. I mean, like you started school with the great intent of getting the grades and then you wanted to do uni and you wanted to qualify with a first and it didn't quite happen or you wanted to get on another course but you didn't quite make the grades and now you're in a job that you don't really love but you're doing it because you have to. And educationally, it feels to you like, man, this is a struggle because my plans aren't working out. But it's not always the big stuff though, is it? Like sometimes just being a parent because life is hard. It can feel to you like your parental plans just aren't working out. <laughs> like how come it seems as though everybody else parents their children so exquisitely brilliantly and yet you struggle because you've given birth to devil kids and they never ever listen to you. They don't do what you say. They're making decisions and life choices on their life that you would never have chose for them. And it feels to you like, man, this is just not going to plan. There are other times when it feels to you like, man, it isn't working out with me and the husband, 
With me and the wife, this is not going the way that we'd have hoped. Relationally, it's not working out. Sometimes it's like, have you ever had a friendship group? And all of a sudden, he starts being an idiot. She starts being a way that's frustrating to you. And you guys were like best friends. And now it's like you don't trust them. You don't believe a word they say. And it feels to you like your friendship group is just breaking down. And now it's like your plans for that group to do life together is just not on the cards. It's not on the table anymore. We know what that feels like. You know what it feels like when as an employee, you get the nudge, nudge, the wink, wink to apply for the job. And your boss tells you like, you should revise this. And your boss tells you, you should come in prepared for this. You'd be great at this. And you do the whole process. And guess what? At the end of the interview, they don't offer you the job. They give it to someone else. And you're like, what is that even about? And it feels like your plans just aren't working out. You know, if there was ever a a pair of characters in the Bible, in the New Testament, who would have encountered a season in their life where they could have said, our plans are not working out. We would have to talk about those that are the centre of the Christmas story. We would have to talk about Mary and Joseph. Because for Mary and Joseph, they were the couple that they had the plans. They had the dreams. They had the aspirations. They had it all mapped out how life was going to be. And then all of a sudden, it felt like something, someone took their life and turned the whole thing upside down because none of their plans worked out the way that they had hoped. I mean, just think about it for a moment. The Bible isn't clear about it. So there's a degree of, let's call it preacher's license today that we can use. But we're not really told about their dating days. We don't know exactly how they met. I mean, I just wonder sometimes whether or not Mary and Joseph, who let's not forget, they were both Jewish. I wonder, like, did they meet at the Friday night disco that would take place every Monday night at the local synagogue? Maybe it was even the roller disco. Like they would put on their roller boots and they would like meet each other. Maybe even Joseph Maybe his nickname was Big Joe. And Big Joe was one of the youth leaders at the local synagogue, at the local church. And Mary had eyes for Big Joe. And she would just love it when he would get up and speak to this group of young people. And she would sit on the front row, just mesmerised with him. And every word that would flow from his mouth, she would be like, you're just incredible. And then maybe one day, Big Joe, the cool dude youth leader that had that pair of Nike Jerusalems that Mary just loved, Maybe Big Joe said to Mary one day, hey, do you like want to do coffee? And maybe they went to the world-renowned famous coffee house in the centre of Nazareth called the Nazarene Coffee Shop. And maybe they sat there and they just looked out of the Nazarene shop front window, just gazing into one another's eyes, dreaming. And Joseph is looking at Mary and he knows that she's the girl everybody wants to swipe right on. He knows Mary, she is like hot, she's intelligent, she's the girl that all the guys want to date. And now he's there and they sit off in the Nazarene and they just start talking about the future. Like, what do you want to do? How many babies do you want? And where do you want to live? And what type of house? And what's your mom and dad? And what's your granddad? Tell me your history. And they would talk for hours until the sun went down. And then, of course, what would happen next is they would plan to get married. Now, Jewish weddings were a big deal. 
everybody would have been invited. They would have been planning the thing and the event would have lasted for days. I mean, these guys, they are young, they are excited, and they are expectant that what's going to happen in their future is going to be off the chart incredible. They had amazingly big plans. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears to Mary and says, "Uh, hey, Mary, here's some news. You've been chosen by God. And by the way, the benefit of being chosen by God, da-da, you're pregnant. You are now going to conceive a child by way of a miraculous Holy Spirit intervention in your body, and you are going to give birth to the Son of God. I don't know whether Mary was like disappointed and heartbroken at that moment, or whether she just wanted to run and find Big Joe in the Nazarene to go, surprise, I'm pregnant. And can you imagine the shock and the horror that must have been on Big Joe's face? when that news was passed to him. In fact, here's the thing. The whole story is recorded in the Scriptures, which, if I'm going to be really honest, if I were the one that was writing the Bible, I would never have chosen to have included certain passages of Scripture because I would have wanted it to have been like a fairy tale story where everything's perfect all of the time. Like the last thing you do when you're writing a fairy tale or a fable or some kind of like fictional story is... You don't write about the times and seasons where actually everything is hitting the fan. And in this story, everything goes horribly wrong. And in Matthew 1, verses 18 and 19, it recounts and records how Mary and Joseph's life that was so perfect and had this amazing plan got turned upside down. I would never have included that in the Bible if I were writing it which from my perspective gives it incredible credence and value when you look at and consider the actual authenticity of the authorship of the Scriptures. So in Matthew 1 verse 18, this is the moment where their plans get absolutely wrecked. And it reads this, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Just think about it for a moment. Imagine you're in love. Imagine you're engaged. Imagine you're the guy for a moment and you've got all of these dreams, desires and aspirations of what your life is going to look like with your beautiful bride-to-be. And now all of a sudden she tells you when you've never been intimate together because he loved her that much, He valued her, he respected her, he esteemed her, and he wanted her to know that by choosing not to get all physical with her. He was a man that was honouring to God. And now she turns around and says to him, oh, I'm pregnant. I think Joseph felt exactly the same thing that you would have felt. You would have felt betrayed. You would have felt like all trust and all hope has gone. You would have felt like this is the worst day of your life. Like, how could she do this to me? Especially after I've tried to treat her so right. How come she has treated me so wrongly? So Joseph decides, actually, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to be that guy. 
but you're not going to mess me around. I'm not going to be the butt of everybody else's jokes because of you, Mary, having been intimate with somebody else, because he doesn't believe the thing at first. Of course he doesn't. Who would have? So then he makes a decision that he's going to divorce her. And this is what it writes in verse 19. This is the season where all of his plans are collapsing. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The guy is devastated. The guy is crushed. I mean, all the plans, all the invitations, I mean, they've been drawn out. They're ready to go out. Now he's going to have to explain to all of his friends, all of his family, all of his aunts, all of his uncles, everybody that knows him, he's going to have to recount this story a thousand and one times. So he makes a decision like, I'm just going to, I'm going to part ways now. And because they were Jewish, there was a way, there was a structure, a legal response to the way in which you were promised to one another, which meant that you had to be legally divorced. And then that's not even considering the public humiliation. I mean, Joseph now, he, he loved her and he trusted her, but now everybody would have known what Mary had done at the point at which Joseph would have divorced her. He would have been thoroughly embarrassed as a result of her actions. So he had it in his mind to divorce her quietly because it was the only way to break off an engagement in their culture. But then just think about how much Mary's plans have completely failed too. Because actually the scriptures recount Mary's response to God in this story. And in essence, she says to him, Lord, and this is me paraphrasing, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Like she's given the news that she's gonna carry the one and only son of God. And her response is, Lord, I'm open. I'm willing to do whatever it is you want me to do. But you've got to understand that what she's signing up to when she made that response was something that I don't think each and every one of us would have wanted to have signed up to. Because what she was saying was this, I am willing to be a beggar for the rest of my life. Because in their culture, nobody is going to marry the pregnant woman, especially the pregnant woman who's got pregnant outside of wedlock. She's signing herself up to live a life of isolation at that point. Nobody is going to want to go near Mary anymore. There's going to be no job opportunities for her, no relational opportunities for her. She's going to be a beggar. And yet she's saying, even in spite of all that, God, I, I, I'm open. Like Whatever you want to do, I'm open. And we can kind of all relate to this same feeling that Joseph and Mary were feeling in this story. All of their plans were wrecked and ruined. Some of us, we know what that's like. Financially, physically. When you think your health is always going to be perfect and then at the last minute it just feels like someone's taking it away. Financially, you know what that feels like to do with your career. You thought that you would go up the ladder. You thought that you would be the guy. You thought that you would get the post and now it's not gonna happen. You know what it's like for you to feel like, man, this is just going from bad to worse. Like for some of you, the pressure of this season has not been what you'd have hoped. You thought that in the run-up to Christmas, you'd try to save a little bit. You were gonna get the kids' Christmas presents sorted. We were gonna be able to take care of the rent, the mortgage, the thing. And now it's like the car breaks and that's gonna wipe you out. And you're like, man, how am I gonna do this? It's like all of your well-made plans feel like they're coming crashing down. So if you've 
ever had that feeling of like, my plans aren't working out. There is just one thought, one thing, just one line that I want you leaving church today knowing. Like if there's one thing that I want you to take away, it's this next sentence. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God has a purpose. Even when everything around you doesn't make sense and it feels like your plan's not working out, I want you to know you don't have to trust, you don't have to understand your plan or the plan to still be able to trust that God still has a purpose. And now I'm going to show you why I think scripturally we can all walk away knowing and believing that. Primarily, it's because Proverbs 19 verse 21 tells us this. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. In other words, you can make many plans in life. Many plans for your relationship, many plans to pay off the mortgage early, many plans for the pension, many plans for your children, many plans for where you're going to locate yourselves, many plans for the holiday. You can make many plans and we make many of them in our minds and in our hearts and yet oftentimes it's God's purpose that is the one constant that is always able to come through. Like you, doesn't matter what you plan for, God's purpose can still come through. And this is what Mary and Joseph experienced because their plans were wrecked, ruined, destroyed. And we know that because having read verses, and eight, verses 18 and 19, you can't get any lower than how Joseph and Mary must have been feeling in this story. And yet, when you start to read verse 20, it all starts to make sense. For it writes, but after he, meaning Joseph, had considered this, meaning the news of Mary being pregnant, and he had not even been intimate with her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph was like, hang on a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Let's just press stop. Are you for real? Are you telling me that she's not lying to me? Are you telling me that she's not dishonest, that she's not disloyal, that she's not betrayed me? Are you telling me that she's not been sleeping around? Are you telling me that God's got something else going on? And the angel is saying to him, that's exactly what I want you to know. And now what we see in verse 21 is in the very midst of Mary and Joseph's plans all falling to the ground, we see the beauty and the incredible way that God is able to weave into the very fabric of humanity His purpose even when it doesn't feel like it's the best plan, even when it's not the plan that you'd have chosen, even when it's not the plan that you were hoping for. We see God's purpose start to be revealed. Verse 21, Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Because Joseph, 
this feels horrible to you, but you don't know what God is up to. Through the birth of this one and only son, Jesus, he's gonna be the bridge between humanity and God the Father in heaven. Because of God's purpose that's going on during the time when you hate the plan, we're gonna see man and God reconciled. We're gonna see a way made, Joseph, where ordinary, regular, often insignificant people that just run around like crazy doing our nine to five jobs and lives, trying to raise kids, make a home, build a family. Ordinary people just like me and just like you now have an opportunity to be in a real and authentic relationship with God the Father through faith in Jesus. That's the purpose of the plan that you don't like. And I just think that Joseph must at that moment been kind of thinking to himself, like this is the very last thing that I would ever have chosen, I would have ever have wanted. And yet at the same time, it was the first thing that God was wanting. It was the best thing that God was planning. You see, even if your plans fail, God's purpose doesn't. Even when your plans don't materialise the way that you had hoped, God's purpose doesn't. So even during the times and seasons when it feels to you like your plan's not working out, it doesn't mean that you have to stop trusting that God can work it out for your good because His purpose can be trusted. And don't think by any means that if God's purpose is at play, that it means that it's gonna come without problems. Because often God's biggest and best purpose that He's working out in your life, they come wrapped as problems. I'll tell you why. Because when Mary was literally in labour on a donkey, that sounds like a huge problem to me. And when they're turning up in Bethlehem and they're told collectively like there's no room at the inn, so they end up giving birth in a cave, that sounds like a huge problem to me. That isn't what I would have planned. That isn't what you would have chosen. Not one of us would ever have selected it to have been this way. Now just think for a moment. If we fast forward the clock, 33 years, and now we get to the time that we refer to as Easter, and Jesus has been arrested, and He's been beaten, and His wrists and His feet have been pierced as His body is strapped and hung on a tree, and as the soldiers gather around him and they start to mock him and curse him and call him every name under the sun. And they're there and they're shouting, King of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? Why don't you get yourself down? You call yourself a saviour. Look at the state of you now and all of this time as there is blood dripping from his brow. It's Mary, his mother, who watches on and sees the pain and sees the torment and sees the discomfort that her one and only son that was birthed in the most imperfect plan and yet God had a purpose through it is watching the whole thing go on and as Jesus, the only way that he can breathe is by forcing his feet up on the nails that are strapping him to the wood and he pushes himself up because that's not what kills you on a cross. It's not the nails, it's asphyxiation. It's not being able to breathe. And as he takes his last breath and he says to his father, God, would you forgive them for they don't know what they do and all the earth shakes as the Saviour of the world's life is given for us and the planet goes dark. I mean, I don't know that this happens because Scripture doesn't say it, but, but I think at that moment, Mary, the mother, she probably 
falls to the ground as she's watching her beloved son die. And at that point again, I'm thinking, man, this must be another time and season where she's thinking, this is not the plan, God. Surely there's gotta be another way, God. Surely this isn't fair. Surely this isn't right. This is horrendous. This is horrific. And I would comment, no mother, no mom should ever have to see their son go through that. But you see, Mary and Joseph's plan might not have worked out the way that they had hoped, but God's purpose did. God's purpose did even 33 years later because the real reason for the season is not Jesus. We say this strap line every Christmas like, hey, remember the real reason for the season. It's not about Santa. It's not about Christmas trees. It's all about Jesus. It's not. The real reason for the season is you. It's all about you. This season is a marker on the canvas of the timeline of creation where God said, no more. Do I wanna live disconnected from my sons and daughters? So I am gonna make a way by giving my one and only son so that those that believe in me shall not die, but have heaven forever. In other words, it might not have been their plan, but it was God's purpose. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. You were God's purpose at Christmas time. You. Nothing else. You. So my question as we close is what's your response to God's purpose? Because my prayer is that if you don't know God, and if you've never made a decision to trust in God. In fact, maybe prior to being in church today, if anybody were to ever ask you the question like, hey, do you believe in God? Or do you think you're gonna go to heaven? Maybe your response would have been something like mine would have been at one point, where you kind of say things like, well, I'm a good kind of person. I don't really do incredibly bad things. And I try and, you know, I kind of have a faith. I believe there's something. And, you know, I don't really know, but I think if I'm good enough, I'll probably get to heaven. You know what? God's purpose in sending Jesus was not only so that you can have real and authentic relationship with Him today, but it's so you get heaven because there's no other way that you get heaven. There's no other way that you get to live in a full relationship with God the Father without placing your faith in Jesus. So my request is, can your response to God's purpose being a play on the planet in this season, can it simply be to say yes to Jesus today? Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.